Welcome to the Throws Genius Podcast. I'm Janine Kistner, Highland Games Heavy Athlete. In this episode, I talk about the Arnold Classic. I break down my performance there towards the end of the episode. Talk a little bit about the COVID-19 outbreak and its implications for my family, as well as discuss one of my games from last summer, the Topeka Highland Games. Enjoy. Oh boy, folks. All right, so I'm recording this on Friday. Oh boy, I don't feel like I should even say this. Friday the 13th, Friday, March 13th, and uh, coronavirus panic has fully set in, and I am, I'm not ashamed. I will admit that I, I don't want to say I'm panicking, but my, it hit me yesterday in the office as I was seeing, you know, news accounts, hearing the news accounts roll in, and, um, you know, I live in Ohio, and the governor uh, shut down schools for three weeks and hearing about more and more places of business that are closing down. And as I was reading more about the, um, you know, kind of the stats and the data that we do have on the spread of the virus and comparing the trend in China and Italy with what we're seeing here in the States. And, you know, what, what hit me is my parents are in Myrtle beach. They've been there for a couple months and they are, they, I went back and scrolled through the texts that my, mom had sent me before they were planning their trip and I realized that they're supposed to be flying back like Tuesday my dad is almost 80 years old my mom's in her 60s her late 60s and my dad has some underlying health conditions and has poor balance and I could see him grabbing onto a whole lot of surfaces in the airport that they were supposed to be traveling through and, you know, and then being on an airplane in close quarters with other people, you know, they're talking about limiting large gatherings, but, um, according to a physician that I spoke with, full disclosure, my brother-in-law, he said the recommendation is for, you know, people 60 and older to avoid gatherings of 20 people or more. And that's certainly flying on an airplane. So I did some, I already decided to pull my son out of daycare because I honestly, I don't know if they're going to close daycare and I'm not worried about him getting sick, but I'm worried about like about him getting so sick that he would, um, like have some negative, you know, life threatening complications. But I I know that we're around older people and people that have are immunocompromised and so I just didn't want to mess with it. So I'm going to be working remotely for a bit and he's going to be hanging out at home. My husband's office is closed. I don't, I forget how long, but so we're going to be having some family time. Um, and again, like, I really don't think that like, I think we're still going to be able to go shopping and whatnot, but, and, and, and as I see more people responding with, uh, more conservative action, I feel better about this, that this is not going to turn into, um, what it could be. Um, but I guess, you know, prepping for worst case scenario, not gonna lie. We have some canned goods and we also have, you know, like cold medication and whatnot. So that if, if one of us did, you know, we discovered over the next, you know, date coming days and weeks that like we did start to develop symptoms. I mean, the recommendation from what I understand is just to kind of weather the weather it at home. And so we have the stuff that we would need to be able to do that. But going back to my parents, um, they were supposed to be moving out of the condo that they were staying in like tomorrow. And then they were going to go stay with like my, one of my other uncles that's down there. 
and then uh, for a couple days and then fly back next week. And it just hit me that like, mm, maybe driving would be a better option for them, but that they cannot drive themselves. But you know, if they, they were, if they were traveling in a car with each other, as opposed to being out in the airport and on an airplane, that that would be reduce the risk. And you know, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, whatever, but just it, it, this whole thing, honestly hit me this morning that maybe the reason why a lot of people are downplaying the risk here is because maybe people just didn't really understand exponents you know they say you never when am I going to use math you know kids in in high school be like oh what am I ever going to use this in everyday life Hmm, maybe understanding exponential growth I mean that might be a place um and that's like you know the name of the game right now is is those those factors um the factors of multiplication and then exponential growth you know if you can reduce those those large numbers early enough on you know i I, i'm sure some people have seen the um the difference in the the growth curve with like one day of implementing um mitigation efforts so and i also recognize how this may come across as hypocritical coming from someone who was very gung-ho I was down there at the Arnold last weekend like shoot and I'm going to talk quite a bit about that competition but like honestly my my point of view has really changed I guess you know seeing how the number of cases really exploded in Italy where there was a lack of containment and then seeing how the containment you know the mitigation efforts how effective they were in China to really slow the progression of cases, you know, and, and then I thought more too about, you know, like, okay, so there's, there's two courses of, you know, courses of action, right? Let's just focus on the two things, right? You can either continue normal or you can shut things down. So let's say you continue as normal. Nobody gets sick. That's fine. If people get sick, then you, like, you will have, you played a role in that. Now, if you shut things down and there was not actually a risk, you wouldn't know. If you shut things down and there was a risk, you also wouldn't know. Like, there's, there's no way to prove that shutting things down is ever the right choice, but there sure as heck is a way to prove, demonstrate that, you know, that not shutting things down was a bad choice. So I, I guess I, I totally get it where uh, the officials are coming from. And, you know, and there was like a meme that I saw and I like I, I, I hate that these words are even coming out of my mouth. But like I'm not too, you know, my ego's not so big that I can't admit when I've changed my point of view on stuff. Um, but there was one graphic that I saw that was like, you know, like if we if we act, if we only act when it's like by the time it looks like it's necessary, that would be too late. And again, that's part of that exponential growth. But if you act early enough that it seems unnecessary, it will look like you overreacted and like to, to be willing to look like you overreacted and like, cause, cause I'd been feeling like, well, maybe we should be doing something as, as the number of cases started to really grow. Like maybe we should be doing something. Maybe we should be doing something. And like, it, but, but and I felt honestly like a little like oh man maybe I overreacting but like I'm, I'm glad that that schools closed down I'm glad that people didn't wait until the weekend because like a day or two really can make a difference and I just heard 
um, someone from the Cuyahoga, maybe the Cuyahoga County um, Health Board, Board of Health, or Health District, or whatever they call it, um, uh, a little presentation that they gave this morning, um, and basically saying that the, like the, I forget what the Greek letters that they use, like the, the row or tau or something, whatever it is, um, but that kind of that, the, the number of people that one person infected with a disease can, how many other people they can infect. And like a lot, cause a lot of people have been throwing around like, oh, not as many people get sick with the flu or, or the flu is not that bad. This, you know, this isn't that much worse than the flu as far as symptoms. But like when you look at the number of people that one person inflected, infected with the flu can then subsequently affect, it's like one, one or two, I think he said. Um, uh, measles is like 12. Um, and with, uh, COVID-19, the best data that we have right now, and that's part of this challenge too, is like, we don't have a lot of data on it, but like the best numbers with COVID-19 that we have are like two to three. So like you take numbers and you square them, like that's scary. You cube them that that's just that that is that's even scarier and then yeah I mean maybe the percentages of substantial risk are low of comp you know like threatening complications are low but when you take that exponential factor and then that you know that percentage and then you compare that with the the capacity that we have in our hospitals I think that's where we're really the concern is and I'm sure people have seen that that graphic that has been circling around uh, social media too. I've seen it a lot on Facebook where, you know, the, the, the peak, um, you know, if we can flatten out that peak, yeah, maybe the total number of cases over time are still going to be pretty large. Like, I don't, I don't know if the total number would be it, that we're going to reduce the total number of cases, but if you can flatten out that curve, then probably the number of fatalities will be reduced, um, because we will not overwhelm our our healthcare facilities as dramatically. And you know what? Again, if we take, if we've taken appropriate action, we, we likely, it, it may seem like an overreaction. So like, I get it. If you're one of those people who are like, oh man, this is too much. This is, you know, the government trying to control us, which like, honestly, like as a leaning more libertarian, like I, I'm not a big fan of government control and I'm a big fan of, you know, private business making these good choices for themselves. And so, like, I'm glad that that private, you know, in, like sports things that they've shut down, um, choosing to shut down for themselves and reacting swiftly. Like, I never would have guessed. Honestly, I ne- I don't think I would have guessed that. Like, the after the first NBA player was diagnosed, that they would, you know, suspend the season. I, and 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 I think that that's that's pretty incredible. You know, I think um, it is incredibly sad for. NCAA athletes to have their senior seasons taken away from them and when you're you know you're just one person looking out at the probabilities and the you know the likelihoods like it feels it feels so incredibly unfair for an organization to take to take something from you especially when you've worked so incredibly hard dedicated so much of your life to that that thing but like I I mean I I guess I, I get it like, I think I would have been pretty pissed if they had actually come down last week and decided, like, no, the Arnold can't happen at all. But, like, and I'm really hoping that no cases come 
that can be traced back to the Arnold, like, selfishly, but also, like, on the whole, I think that the organizers would feel really awful if any cases came out of that. But, like, I don't know. Like, with the, the, the timelines and everything, like, if they still had had the expo, with now what we're seeing, the growth numbers, like, I don't know. I guess I, like I said, I'm not, uh, my ego's not so big that I can't change my point of view on stuff, so... You know, whatever it is, if you disagree with me, that's all right. So, yeah, so going back to my folks. So I rented a car last night because my van is a beater. Yep. It's like, I don't even need to tell you what it's got. It's, it's just, it's, it's older and I don't want to risk. I think it's a lower risk to have this rental car not break down on the way there and back. Because um, I am driving from Cleveland to Myrtle Beach. I'm going to spend the night with my folks tonight. Tomorrow... And that's like probably an 11 hour drive, 10 and a half, 11 hour drive. Yay. And then tomorrow, the three of us are going to drive up north. Um, my brother's going to drive down from New York and meet us kind of halfway. Um, they're all going to spend the night down there. Uh, Saturday night, tomorrow night. And, but I'm going to, I'm going to drop them off at the hotel where they're staying. And then I'm going to go the rest of the way. My parents, my parents just can't do the drive all in one day. Um, so yeah, so I feel like I'm having a bit of a repeat. Uh, let's tie this back to the Highland Games. I feel like I'm having a bit of a repeat of some of those trips that I did last summer. Um, for, I mean, thank you. I do want to say from the bottom of my heart, like, I'm sure my listenership is nowhere near as big as what it is for, you know, the Heavy Light podcast with Mike Beach. Shout out to Mike. And hey, Mike, if you're listening, I'm pretty sure you're not. My last name's pronounced Kistner. <laughs> I know I'm <laughs> just, it's Kistner. It's not Questner, it's Kistner. You know, that's been a real uh, ego check, as, as great as I think I am at the games. That, like, even the guy who's been, like, coaching me doesn't know how to pronounce my last name. It means he's probably not looked at my Instagram bio where I have, like, a, you know, like a lipstick lips, like, Kistner showing how to pronounce my name. So that's cool. That's just a reminder, like, as great as I think I am, <laughs> like, a lot of people don't know who I am. That's cool. If you are listening, though, guys, my last name's pronounced Kistner, all right? Kistner. Kistner, like a kiss. Kistner. I know it looks like Questner, Kustner, Kestner. Nope, it's Kistner. So, uh, so yeah, so um, I know I don't ha- I'm sure I don't have his listenership because he's just, he's been around for so long. So many people know his name. And I heard, I was listening to, like, the Adam Sizemore, who's a pro, and the Biscuits and Barbells, I think it is, or bacon and bull, whatever. I don't know, whatever it is. Um, but, uh, he commented about an episode with Nikita and Adrian getting a hundred downloads. Looks <laughs> like cool. <laughs> I'm not there. That's all right though. Um, I'll be honest. I, I like hearing myself talk. <laughs> I hope you do too. Um, so yeah, but go check those out. Um, Adam's content isn't just about the Highland games, but he does have a good bit on there. Um, but I just, I love this crazy sport. Um, so I like to talk about it and just doing it and think about it, um, whatnot. Um, all right. So yeah. So tying this back to the Arnold, I, you know, my last episode was recorded like, I don't know, like Wednesday night, Tuesday night after when all this stuff was going down and it was just, oh, it was bananas going like the, the organizers of the Arnold and the state government, like people going back and forth. And it just, it felt like, it just felt super bizarre. And 
having competed, like this, this was my third year throwing at the Arnold and it was super bizarre. Not going to lie though. I kind of loved it because the last couple of years, like it's just the crush of people. 2018, when I went down there, um, one of my friends from the gym, she'd asked me to, I was like, Hey, you want me to pick you anything up when I'm down there? And she asked me to get wrist wraps from like, I don't even remember where. And it was like super close to the Highland games area. So I was like, Oh, this won't take as that long. And like, as I think beach put it, like people are in there like nuts to butts. Like it is so packed in that expo normally, like you feel like you can't move anywhere. And so, you know, the difference, I think Tyler, (laughs) Spencer Tyler said on one of Mike's episodes that he was on, that like, it was like the most expensive backyarder. (laughs) Like people are just like throwing in a convention center, a convention hall. Like, yeah, it was, it was a, it was like a backyarder in a lot of ways. Um, but one of the things that I thought was just so cool was like, I got to watch other people throw and like, I think I've mentioned before, I did a, a team games last year, which was so much fun. They did like a, a draft and my team captain, like I think the other, they did it online. And I think the other team captains, like, I don't know, their inner went out they got distracted. So our, our team was absolutely stacked. That wasn't the only thing I liked about it, guys. I mean, winning's fun, but it's not everything, but it was fun to win. Um, but, uh, but uh, we, we had people from like the different master's classes, youth like men and women all throwing together and so I got normally you know a lot of these games especially you know if you're throwing in the same area you throw with the same women over and over and over again and that's fantastic but like I mean we I just I love that Highland Games family and and it's just so fun when you get to spend the whole day with like-minded people and getting with with people that you don't necessarily spend as much time with so so that was really cool um getting to watch the other classes um I, (coughs) excuse me, Mm. I drove down on Thursday, um, down from Cleveland and, uh, Oh, I'm going to get a little frog in my throat. (coughs) Ooh, I promise it's not Corona guys. Um, like I, so I drove down Thursday, I was staying in a hotel and I, it had been a long week. So I was pretty, pretty tired. And I've mentioned the sleep disorder a couple episodes ago too. So like I got up as early as I felt like I could on Friday, but I also didn't want to get up so early that I was going to be feeling it the next day, you know, Saturday, because more than I cared about seeing other people throw the other classes, I really wanted to have a strong performance on Saturday morning when the women competed. Um, so I got to see, but I got to see some of the pro class and that was, that was really cool. You know, some of those guys I haven't seen in a while, the women I see pretty frequently now, but like getting to see Chuck and, and Dan and, and Spencer was pretty cool. Um, and I got to meet, you know, that one of the coolest things was I got to meet in person a ton of people. Not a ton of people. It wasn't that many. There weren't that many people there. But I got to meet people in person that I've had exchanges with online and chatted with and gotten advice from even. And so getting to like meet Mike Dickens and Hayden Ballio. Now I know how to actually pronounce his name. You're welcome. Um, and Hayden's, uh, guys there from Fraternity of Girth, his two compatriots, the Scooter Squad, um, Dave and Joe, um, hilarious thing happened with Joe on Saturday. Sorry to out you, Joe. I know you're not listening to this, but, uh, <laughs> Joe, he comes up to me and he's like, Janine, do you have any deodorant? And I was like, no, I'm so sorry. And he was like, oh, that's okay. And I was like, wait, is this your way of telling me that I stink? He was like, no, but I feel bad. Like he couldn't, he didn't have deodorant. Maybe I really did stink and he just didn't want to tell me. Um, 
but that was that was awesome getting to meet them let me see who else oh like too tall john john van buren um that was awesome he like mike's talked about how big these amateur guys are like too tall john's name is apropos like i i've thrown at games with eric spence before like a lot up in michigan and whatnot and that dude is tall i mean it is you know yeah big dudes um I got to see Sean Burns and Christina again. I met them when we were one of the games that I drove really far for last year. Oh, side note. Last year, in an effort to compete in some new places, but really, honestly, just like trying to get my name out there. One of the things was trying to qualify for the IHGF All-American Champion, blah, 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 the finals that were in... Wichita, I, I hate to admit this, I get the names mixed up. So last year, I I threw in Dublin, which was a game that was a qualifier for the IHGF finals. I came in fourth because, like, Jess Bridenthal and Adrian Wilson and Emily Adams were there, and they crushed it because they're just fantastic athletes, like, absolutely fantastic throwers. Um, so I came in fourth. That's cool. I'm good with fourth. I'm going to force behind those women. That's fine. Um, but that, you know, that was the games that was the closest to me there in, uh, in Ohio for the IHGF one. And I was like, ah, I kind of wanted to see if I could make it to the finals and how I could stack up there. So I was talking to Francis. I looked on the schedule and the next games on the schedule was the games in Topeka. And I looked at no shame in this game, right? I looked at the results on Nazga for the last couple of years and I was like, ah, it's a crapshoot. I mean, it could be, there could be other really, you know, elite level throwers that show up or maybe not. I don't know, but I'm going to take a risk. And, and then, you know, on top of that, what was one of the cool things was I got to meet a whole new group of people and that actually helped open up some other doors, um, too. That's been really neat. So I, I think the Topeka games was just a couple weeks later. Maybe it was the next month. A month later, I think, because the Dublin games, Dublin, Ohio games, which incidentally, that is a really cool festival. It's a really late games. Like we typically don't finish all the throwing until like 11 o'clock at night. Well, it's like under the lights, um, but the organizers um, put you up in a hotel, which is cool um, the night after you throw. Um, but uh, lost my train of thought. Okay. So that's like the first weekend in August. And then the Topeka games was like in September, I think. Not like Mike, I don't have Nazga pulled up in front of me. Um, but I drove down there and yeah, drove down there like in a day. I stayed the night before I competed. I stayed that night and then I drove back. So I think I did it like Friday, left Friday morning, came back Sunday night, which is kind of insane. I mean, it was like a 12 hour drive, right? It's insane. Um, but I did it. Incidentally, that game's so I'm like, I'm like on Facebook looking up like the directions to the, the location of the event that Saturday morning of the Topeka games. And I'm like, Oh no, Denise Green is going to show up. I was like, Oh crap. Like if Denise shows up, I, I just, I'm not as good as Denise in a lot of things. Like being, odds were good. If Denise showed up, she would beat me. She'd run the table. So I was like, Oh crap. I drove all this way and she's going to throw. And then Denise didn't show up. Also, side note, I almost didn't show up 
I did go to the place where the games were, but I guess I got there, shockingly for me, too early, because there was, like, I didn't see anybody setting up, and then I heard from somebody else, oh, no, it's in this other location, like, 20 minutes away, hop back in my car, motor over there, there is nobody the heck there, so then I messaged the AD, and I was like, I, where is it, and he sends me an address, like, a ping that is, like, the field next to, it's, like, in a park, and it's, like, the field next to where I had been originally, I was like, oh, no, and so I motor back over there and I make it in time. It was all good. Cause you know, I mean, you know how punctual Highland games are. The heavy events are to start like super duper punctual. So anyway, so I get there and it was actually like, they had a lot of men's classes, but there were only three of us open women. I did not anticipate that like secret underbelly of the Highland games, like an IHDF qualifier with only three women. Hmm, Francis, you got to up your game a little bit, bro. Like if you want to get more, open women to be a draw you gotta like maybe actually inviting some women or making it a little more attractive I don't I don't know but like it was me um Kate Langworthy shout out Kate I think Kate is in law school she's fantastic I just she's awesome and that was so much fun and then this you know this this tall woman uh it's her first game she's super super quiet wearing glasses She's like, oh yeah, you know, I threw in college. I was a pretty good hammer throw. I threw like 60 meters in the hammer, but this is my first games. I just started practicing. I am not going to lie. I kind of wrote her off. I was like, oh, like she, you know, it's her first game. She's probably going to end up being pretty good in the games, but like it's her first games. Like how good could somebody be in her first games? Well, folks, that was Jamisa Sanu. I prom- I apologize, Jamisa, if I'm butchering your, your last name. Uh, yeah. It, we traded events. Like, I think I won, I think I won Sheaf and Wob because like, hello, it's like Wob, like Sheaf, you know, like it's, it's not the, that's, that's one of the more challenging events to get a handle on at the beginning. Um, Wob, I, Wob really clicked for me last year. So, I mean, I think she probably cleared 15 and I just cleared 16. Um, and Sheaf, I was not that far ahead of her, but I honestly, even at that point, I was like, oh, like. I'll probably take those events and then, you know, like hammer, she'll take hammers probably because she's a hammer thrower. Yeah, she crushed the hammers. Um, we got to the, I can't remember if we did weights or stones next, but like I think she beat me on heavyweight and by a good bit. And then we got to lightweight and I had just practiced the previous week. I, I felt like I had started to figure some out with some stuff out with my lightweight. And I think I actually, I had to PR to beat her. I think I went like 74 to beat her. Week, you know, weeks later at Keltoberfest in Texas, she ends up going a hundred feet. First man or woman in the Highland Games to break a hundred feet in the lightweight. Props to you, Jamisa. You have absolutely crushed it. So, meanwhile, Skylar Ernstson's like, yeah, I coached her. See, see how good she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we, I think we split the weights. I think she won heavy and I won light. Then we get to the stones, and I'm like, how, how far do you throw the, how far do you throw the shot in college? And she says some like distance that probably crushed my distance in college um and I'm like oh oh, okay cool I mean while in my head I'm like oh crap I'm gonna lose this games and so in my head it was a real roller coaster of emotions from I'm gonna go there I'm gonna try to win it crap Denise is gonna be there me winning it's gonna be a real stretch to like oh here's this new chick like oh you know I maybe I'll I'll probably still be able to win oh crap I may not be able to win this um 
So we go to Stones, and then, and so she wins, she wins Braemar, because, like, duh. And then we get to Open Stone, and, like, the, 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 um, the equipment provider, incidentally, we both knew, we had, like, a friend in common, um, which was so, so random. One of the guys that, he was married, he is married, his wife was on staff with Young Life in New York City, and when I was on teacher staff in in on, with Young Life in New York, so like, I I kind of was colleagues with this dude's wife, and then they moved to I think, I think they're in, oh I'm gonna get this wrong, Kansas City, or St. Louis, and and so the husband knew the equipment guy. I think he was like on Facebook and saw like we it was anyway it was totally random. So but the equipment guy didn't have an appropriate open stone for the women. Dude, like, if I had known that this was going to be an issue, I would have brought my stone from home. Like, equipment managers, please, 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 oh, please, 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 please bring appropriate equipment for your women. Like, don't make it so obvious that we're an afterthought, please. So, the stone that he had for us was, like, freaking four and a half pounds, Four and a half pounds? Four and a half pounds, which is, I don't want an explicit tag, but that's ridiculous. So anyway, so we, I honestly, I was like, okay, this might be an opening here because as good as Jamisa is, like, it, I know it can be a challenge for athletes to, that are really strong and powerful when the implement is so light, it can be really hard to feel the stretch reflex, you know, feel the stretch and actually get your full power behind a lighter implement, which I think incidentally is why you cannot always coach the women's light events the same way that you coach the men's light events. Because when you look at the 14 pound lightweight for women, um, I think maybe just that one, uh, the it's just, it's different. Like the ratio of the implement to the thrower's body mass is different. Like you, you can have separation on it that you can't get with a 28. I don't, I mean, and I don't know, I don't know men, if you can speak to this, send me a message or whatever. Um, like if you feel like you can get separation with a 28 pound lightweight, um, like I, I don't feel like I can, I feel like I need to really work to push it ahead of me, um, like push it into the entry and then kind of catch up with it. Um, but like, which is a, a big reason why my heavyweight really suffered for a long time. Um, but, uh, with the, the lightweight, like, I feel like I can get separation and it's actually a lot more like discus than you'd think. Um, but like, so going back to the, the open stone and sorry, if you tuned in to hear about the breakdown of the Arnold, I'm probably going to have in the show notes, which you probably have already seen at this point, um, that I'm going to talk a lot about the games in Topeka. That's ah, all good. I'm driving. It's my podcast. I have another seven, eight hours ahead of me. So it's cool. I'm a ramble. Um, anyway, so we get to the open stone and yeah, lo and behold, Jamisa couldn't couldn't like literally get a handle on the stone. And so we, now we have split the events. So she's won eight and I've won eight and we finished second in the other event. So like, I don't know how the tiebreaker would go. I get, you know, if we had tied on caber. Um, so when we go to the caber and I'm like, all right, you know, this, this could be good for me. Um, because she's newer to the sport. And so, you know, caber can be a thing that people struggle with. Meanwhile, we're like super friendly all day long. There was no animosity. And honestly, like I've shared before, um, you know, if somebody beats me, good on them. Like, 
that's fine. Like, yeah, winning is fun, but like, I, I want to see the sport grow. I want to see the women's class get the respect that I think it deserves. And so if somebody is better than me on the day, they've earned it. I'm not going to be mad at them. I probably would have been upset with myself for taking the risk of driving all the way down there and spending the money on the car and the hotel room and everything. But like, eh, you know what? It is what it is. Live and learn. Um, so I, uh, yeah, so we get to the caber and I think I was up first. So, oh, that's fun. Right. Um, so I think my best, Ooh, was like, I did not manage a 12. I think my best was like an 1155. And I don't know if I don't remember if it was one that I felt like should have been a 12 or whatever, whatever, you know, judges make their call. Um, I, but I got an 1155 and that was my best score going into the last throws. So I am in the absolute worst position I could be in emotionally where there's nothing else that I can do, but I have left the door open and I could be lying about the score. Maybe it was 1145 or something, but I know it wasn't a 12. So I'm sitting there like I legit, I can't even watch as Jamisa is going up there to take her last throw because I'm like, shoot, I've left the door open and it's totally on me. Like if, if she gets a 12 and she wins the whole day that, that she's earned that I can't be mad about it because I left the door open. You know, I, I should have, if, if, if I, if I was going to earn, earning the win would have meant I pulled a 12 and I earned it and, you know, or whatever, won the event. So, so I sit there and she, I, I, like I said, I couldn't even watch it because I didn't want to have the feeling in my stomach of like, I just, I couldn't do it. So I am hiding my face like in Kate's shoulder. I think I just can't even look. And, uh, and the judge calls her score. I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't as high as mine. And I was like, Oh, what a relief because like, you know, there were other, I think there was one, one more chance maybe to still qualify for the IHDF finals, but like, I wasn't going to make that trip again. It was all really far away and it wasn't going to be something that I was going to do. And so anyway, so thank goodness I won. Whew, that was a relief. That was my first, the first really, really long trip. And winning that one <laughs> bought me another really long trip because the IHDF finals were like October, in October, like maybe six weeks later. Um, and they were in Wichita at the Renaissance Festival down there, which was an incredible experience. My good friend Tiffany, who also came to the Dublin Irish Fest to watch, she made that trip down with me. Um, and that was like another 13 or 15 hours. It was super long. Um, but we, we had a grand old time. Like I think she and I talked to each other the whole way down, the whole way back. It was just so much fun getting to spend time with my friend Tiffany. Shout out Tiffany. I don't know if you're still listening. I know you heard one episode. That's okay if you don't listen. Um, but, uh, I'm still gonna, I'm gonna send you, you know, I'm gonna send you a link to this. You would have gotten a link to this and that's why you're listening right now. Right? So anyway, so Tiffany and I, uh, went down there. The other long drive that I went, um, was to worlds. I, there are a couple games last year that I, I'm pretty confident somebody much better than me dropped out and that opened there at least I think at least three times I've been that person who they're like oh somebody dropped out we got to go find somebody who's in that place where they'll just go anywhere hey guys that's me I will be that person I will come and fill in I don't care I will be the scrub that comes in to just fill out the class 
I don't care. That's all good. So, um, so I snuck into Women's Worlds last year, and that was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I think I've seen so I've seen the St. Louis Arch like six times now because I've made that long drive across the country. Um, that one was maybe thirteen or I can't remember. I had like three drives that were twelve between twelve and fifteen hours last summer, um, and and yeah. So so Worlds was another one of those long drives, and again, like I left kind of late. Uh, not, I didn't know, correction, I didn't leave late, it's just a really crazy long drive, so I got in pretty late the night before we threw, so that was fun, but that was an awesome experience, too, maybe I'll um, randomly break that down sometimes, too, what that experience was like, um, I will say, though, having done that games in Topeka, and then done Tulsa, I was, I was, like, I probably should have, well, I don't want to say that. I was I was burnt out. Those drives really burnt me out. And that's something I learned that a lesson I wanted to take away from 2019 into the future is that like those long drives, that's a lot. And yeah, I can physically do it, but it takes a big emotional toll to do all of that. Uh, it, I'll, I'll just do all of that. It's a lot. So, you know, I was burned out after Tulsa and Worlds. And so I just, I... I I didn't practice much going into the IHDF finals and like until this winter where I feel like like December is when I feel like I really started feeling somewhat competent in the heavyweight I otherwise I felt like I just didn't know what right form was like how like that felt like in my body so um the IHGF IHGF finals oh my gosh it I that heavyweight was ugly we also did like a shot of scotch on the field before we started throwing and I should have not had the ego and I should have just gone and taken a shot of apple juice because I don't think I can handle my liquor on the athletic field. Something about it. I'm going to blame that. That's going to be why I didn't throw heavyweight well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think I fell down. Thanks, Larry Ventress. Shout out to you for getting photos at all these throwing events out there. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure he caught me as I was like taking a tumble. And that's, that's kind of embarrassing to be that thrower whose technique is just so awful that you fall down on the throw. So that's fun. Um, incidentally, I still held my own, like Denise was there. Um, Alyssa Hapner and Jamisa, they all threw there and I finished fourth. I joked with Jamisa that I was glad I got to compete against her at her first games because that's probably one of the only times I'm going to beat her. Side note, it came pretty close at the Arnold, which I'll talk about in a minute, but, um, yeah, she's, she's just an absolute stud and her, her future is so bright. She's going to, she's got a lot of talent and, and you know what? And she's so incredibly humble too. She's a really, she's a really sweet person, like unassuming. And I think like talking with her, I don't, I, I, I tried to like express to her, like you have done something really significant in this sport. And I, I, I think it was starting to sink in. I don't know. Maybe that was a bad idea for it to sink in. I hope it doesn't give her I hope that didn't mess with your head or anything, but like you, you, people know your name. I, I tried to introduce her to as many people as I could at the Arnold, like, and I don't, I don't know everybody. I'm getting to know more people, but like, I was like, people need to know who she is. Like Steve Conway needs to know who Jamisa is. Like she needs to get an invite to Pleasanton. You know, she's, she's, she's so incredibly talented and I also know she practices a lot she works hard with Skyler and so she like absolutely deserves it all right 
me pause this for a moment. Hopefully this is still recording. Yeah, I'm going to stop this and come back to you in a minute. And I'm back. So it's been a few hours. I know for you all, it's been like no time has passed at all. But it's a few hours since I last recorded. I went back and listened. This is going to change the audio. I went back and listened to the first bit that I recorded. And I just want to say <laughs> props to those of you that picked up on my misspeak. Jamisa and I did not each win eight events. Clearly, we each won four events. Um, so, yeah. And then, yeah. So, that was cool hearing that. Um, and I apologize for the audio going in and out. I'm recording on my iPhone on this this Anchor FM app with my just my Apple iPhone headphones, you know. Because uh, it's pretty, you know, pretty low, low bar to entry if you want to record a podcast using this app. It's very easy. Um, Anyway, okay, so I wanted to hop back on here and actually talk about the Arnold, about breaking down my own performance and, and, you know, whatever else uh, from the Arnold, just kind of talk about what that experience was like. So um, women through on Saturday, um, if you've heard other people talk about the format and everything, I apologize, you're going to hear some repeats, but this is my podcast and I get to talk about what I want to talk about. So at the Arnold, we do five events. We do a stone, a weight, a caber, a, sh- a wob, and a sheaf. Or a sheaf and a wob. No, we did wob and then we did sheaf. Because, um, yeah, I finished on a downer. Uh, so, and it's all heavy, um, the heavy version of stuff. So we threw, and this year we actually threw a lighter heavy stone. So it's still open stone, Oh, you know, so you can have an approach. Uh, but the stone this year was 12 pounds. In the past, the GLSAA has had their women throw a 14-pound stone uh, shot, really, an indoor shot. So, forgive my crunches. I'm popping throat lozenges. So, um, so if 12-pound stone, I honestly, I haven't gone back to see how my mark compares with previous years or whatever with a 12. Like, I, my stones, hmm. I threw like 34.7, I think, and I think I had like three throws over 34 feet. Like, I think my first throw was my best throw. I may have had like a 34.6 and like a 34.1. So, super consistent, but nothing like really outstanding. I finished fourth in that event. Um, so, I was I was happy to be finishing up in that area. Um, I, you know, going into this competition, there were a few a few, you know, question marks for me. I knew, I knew, obviously I knew Emily Adams is going to be tough competition and Alyssa Happner, but Alyssa, but also competed in the, the pro comp the day before. So I've done a two day competition before, and I know that you definitely are not as fresh on the second day. So, you know, that was a little bit of a wild card, how, how that was, how her, she was going to be able to handle that two days in a row. Um, then, uh, Jamisa, who I've already talked about, I, I kind of, I figured she'd probably beat me also. And then, you know, there was Ali Ziskovsky, Susan Sherman was slated to be there, which I felt so bad for her when the expo was canceled, her ride back was next. So she was not able to make it out last week. So that was, I was very sad. I was really looking forward to throw with, with Susan. She's like, someone about my height. She's my age, a little bit older than me. I, th- I think I apologize, Susan, if I got that wrong. Um, 
And so I was just like excited to meet another, like another person who's a little bit newer to the sport and she's really strong, like in her weights from what I've seen on NASGA and whatnot. So I thought that was going to be a really good addition to the competition. And another person who was new to the Arnold, that was, that was a neat thing. There were a lot of new faces this year, which was really cool. Um, and then, you know, Macy, who else? Oh, oh, Stacey Snow, who I got to meet her. Uh, in December. Well, correction, I threw with her in December in Florida. I, I, I could have sworn and I went back and through my Facebook, she had a different name. She was living someplace else, but I threw with her at the USATF Masters Throws Championships in like 2014, I think. So I have actually, I actually met her like six years ago, which is pretty cool. All right. So, um, and then we had, I don't want to miss anybody. We had Mandy Voorhees. Mandy and I throw a lot together being living in the Midwest. And she she's super impressive. She's, I don't know if you all know this, she is a little bit of a, a, a model. Not I don't know if that's the right way to say it. She's been in some commercials for Eaton Barbell. And <laughs> Rob McKinney kept on talking about her being like this like local celebrity and everything. It was hilarious. Uh, shout out to her <laughs> for that. Um, and Jessica Snodgrass. So when Susan couldn't make it in, Jessica was actually the next person on the list, the the next person like on the wait list. Um, and, and she was there because Chris was throwing. Chris, her husband, Chris, had qualified on the men's side, on the amateur side. Um, he'd won the qualifier and Jess also competed in the qualifier. Um, and so they, I think they, I don't know if this is true or just rumor, like she overnighted like her kilts and like she got, she got stuff so she could compete. So what a, what an awesome surprise to find, be at the Arnold to cheer on your husband and then find out you're able to compete. And I mean, I have to, I'm putting myself in her shoes. I, you know, I, I wonder if in the back of her mind there wasn't a thought like maybe I'll get in because just with all the craziness like if you're next on the list and there's all this craziness with the Arnold canceled not canceled spectators no spectators like you gotta wonder if maybe something will happen where maybe you'll be able to sneak in I don't maybe maybe she didn't cross her mind but she she represented she did a solid job okay now I don't want to forget anybody let me think through the list because I feel like I know I'm definitely forgetting somebody so we have Emily. This is going to be good radio here. Um, Emily, Alyssa, Jamisa, me, Allie, Stacy, Jessica, Mandy, two more. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to think of them and feel awful. And I, oh my gosh, Sarah Blivens. I knew, I knew, oh my gosh, I knew I was going to kick myself. Sarah, lovely Sarah. Sarah is like just the sweetest ever. I am, and Sarah, mm, Sarah's awesome. She has been really killing it, like putting, really putting in a lot of work. She's been throwing for a, a good little while and she has really gotten a fire lit under her and she is really she's really working for it. And it's showing, it's showing in her numbers. Like she had a really good, good games with Sheaf when we were down to Florida. Like she's doing an awesome job and Ace. Oh my gosh. I forget Ace. I had to pull up the results. So Ace Lynn Halverson, she actually threw at the university of Tennessee years after me, but like alma mater. Yay. So we talked about that a little bit anyway. So there's the 10 of us, um, a really, a really solid group. Okay. So, and I apologize, Sarah and Ace, that I blanked on your names. Of course, I haven't forgotten you. You two are amazing. Um, okay, so going back to the events. So we did the Stones first, finished fourth. 
Then we went to the heavyweight for distance. Now, the nice thing is that we did not have to throw the rogue bags. I, I really didn't care for those. It was hard for me to like, I mean, I have a hard time gripping onto the handle anyway, but um, those rogue bags, they just, it, you like, it's harder to feel the stretch and like the, I don't know what the right term is. It's like it's a physics term for like, not the moment of impulse, but like, it's hard to feel like where the weight is. I And plus I just, I was not good at the heavy weight for distance when I threw at the Arnold a couple of years ago. So I felt ridiculous. Didn't look good. Didn't feel good. Um, I've had a few more chances now to throw with the dominator weights that we use. And I still don't love them as much as the like metal weights. And maybe it's something about like, like it's great having like the center of mass being far away from you, like with physics, that's beneficial. I understand that conceptually, but having something about having a shorter chain and having the block or the ball at the end be so much larger and the impact that that has on like on, on the implement. I, yeah, I don't, I don't love that as much as the outdoor weight. So, but regardless, I went over 41 feet with the heavyweight, which was pretty cool. Not pretty cool. That was really friggin' awesome. Cause it's the first time I've broken 40 since like the fall of 2018. It's the only other time I've broken 40 since the fall of 2018 when I went like 42, four, but like that was at this, um, Irish music festival or Irish festival in Michigan where we like legit threw downhill. Like it was probably like, I don't even know what the degree of the grade was, but it was, it was like obscene, the amount of grade. So it was great for my marks. I mean, not to disparage anyone else's marks who that, you know, that they get at that games. Like it's fun. I think we all, you start to learn when you've been doing this sport a little bit, you learn how to kind of game the system and like, you know, they joke, beach jokes on his podcast about like, Oh, let me go look in the rule book. And like, yeah, I, I, and I see what he, he said something, I don't, I don't know which podcast it was, but he said something about like the earlier you are in your career, the more that stuff Matt seems to matter to you because you're like trying to get those numbers to show who you are. And so like you're throwing for marks and like, yeah, winning is good, but it's not, it's, it's more, sometimes it's more about the marks because you're trying to like crawl your way up that NASGA rankings, but also like on the day of competition, like all those conditions are the same for everybody that's throwing. And the point there is to see who's the most competitive on the day, most consistently over the slate of events. And so, you know, if you're all throwing downhill, you're all throwing downhill. So like it's everybody's marks are, you know, whoever can take advantage of the slope, the best is gonna, you know, win, whatever. So, so we had a heavyweight for distance and I, um, warm ups were rough. Like I, I have struggled with blowing out of the left side of the box anyway, because I tend to get too much drive. You know, we have two turns in the heavyweight and I tend to cover way too much ground on my first turn. Cause I treat it like a discus turn and I come off of my right foot way too early out of the back. It's something I've really been working on and I've gotten a lot better at. And so I think ultimately I'll be able to effectively, you know, start my throw by facing, like facing directly out into the, into the, the throwing area. But I, I, when I was doing that, I kept them blowing out of the left side of the, the box. And we had, we used a winged trig on a piece of turf that had the box marked out in tape. And you, there you can put your foot on the tape. Um, and that's, that's fair, but you can't step out of the tape. 
And um, because my legs are so long, I think I, I actually struggle more with a, a winged trig than a not winged trig because I'll, I'll put my right foot, you know, I'll put my outside foot out pretty far. So anyway, blah, blah, blah. So I was blown out the left side of the box but, during warm-ups, but like the throws felt, felt pretty good. And I, I think it's really, it really illustrates how much more comfortable I'm getting with my heavyweight technique that I didn't like, I didn't freak out that I was blowing out of the box. I just like, okay, so I just need to adapt. And I, I adjusted my feet. So I was maybe like 30 to 45 degrees to the right rotated like clockwise. So instead of, you know, going out of the left of the trig, I would be lined up a little bit better with the front of the box. Um, so, uh, and that definitely helped. I, I think my first throw, I think I took kind of like a, a, a safety throw, which was like 37 feet. So I was like, all right, that's a 36 or 37. So I was like, that's, I'm happy with that as a safety throw. But now that I know that I can still stay in the box, like I can get after it a little bit more. And my next two throws are both like 41 feet, like 41 and a quarter inch and 41 feet, one inch. So, so that was really exciting. Uh, really, really exciting. Um, and I, uh, you know, uh, years, last year, it probably would have freaked me out that I'd gone out of the left side of the box on two throws and warmups. But you know what? Something similar happened in lightweight for distance when we were down in Florida back in January. Like I, in competition, my first two competition throws, I foot fouled. I think one time I actually went out of the back of the box, um, on my first turn and then on my first th- turn on my first throw. And I think I went out of the left side of the box on my at the front on my second throw. But I was like, I think I had done that on both throws actually. So I, I was able to just like adjust my feet and like not freak out. And I think I hit, I think I went set over 70 feet. Um, so to like have like a 70 foot plus safety throw on the third one, just adjusting feet. That was like, to me, that was like a great sign of what the rest of the season was going to hold. So um, so that was, that was heavyweight. I finished fourth in heavyweight and poor Jamisa, holy cow. Like she, I, I mean, I, I, she has it in her to break the heavyweight for distance world record this year. Um, for sure. I mean, she definitely tore up her hand though. She just had tape around her fingers. Um, and I was telling her how, like I was, I was, she, she tore up like two, like tore off two blisters on like the middle of her hand and then like out by her pinky. And she was like bleeding quite a bit. Um, and she did that on like her first or second throws and then went and got taped up and came back and like still took extras. And, um, she was like pulling away from it real bad. Um, but like, she still, I think she's, she's, I know she still won the event at like 47 feet. Like it's just like stupid far the way that she's throwing and she's what she's gonna be able to do is just, I feel, I feel so lucky that I'm able to be like appear to her that, you know, I hear, I've heard like comedians talk about like their class coming up, like who are the people that they like cut their teeth with. Um, and I feel like, like she's, you know, newer than me, but I feel like we're kind of hitting the scene at the same time. And it's really, it's really cool to like come up at the same time as her and, you know, be seeing what she's doing. Okay. Enough blabbing on and on about Jamisa. You're awesome. Okay. So, so then we went from, um, heavyweight. So I had two force and, and, oh, and I wanted to say like going into the competition, knowing that like Ace was going to be there and Allie Ziskowski and Susan Sherman and Alyssa and Emily and Jamisa, I was like, okay, so 
any, I was like always, you know, I'm always hoping to podium, but I was like third is going to be a bit of a stretch, but I think somewhere between fourth and sixth is probably, probably reasonable. So I wanted to try to stay, you know, in striking distance on the first few events. Um, I, and I knew like my stones are generally pretty competitive. I'm very, I feel like I generally underperform based on what I'm capable of in stones. Cause I just, I need to put more time in and figure it and very figure out timing, um, and I just need to keep lifting and getting stronger. Um, my weights are coming along. Um, but caber can be a real crapshoot. I, I turned the caber, the, the Merle's caber back in October, but I've only turned it one time. And, you know, generally in the women's competition, only a couple of women turn it. I think two years ago, I think Alyssa or Jess were the only ones that turned it last year. Only a couple people turned it. So like, even in this elite group, like it's definitely a challenging caber. So I knew that that was kind of a crapshoot. I knew Wob, I was going to be very competitive in Wob is what I anticipated, you know, on any given day, Alyssa and, and Emily and even Jamisa can go pretty high. So I knew it was just going to kind of depend on how everybody was feeling that day. But my Wob has been very consistent, um, and, and, and very solid for me. And then Sheaf, like I, knew I was going to no height. I, I, well, I didn't know that, but I was pretty confident I wasn't going to no height because I've been practicing with a 16 and I felt like I've been feeling my timing, but then, you know, you never what's going to know what's going to happen on game day. So anyway, back to, so I, I felt like I was going to be pretty solid all the way around, but again, you never know how things are going to shake out and you have a couple of close events where people are trading places, you know, trading spots and it can, you know, really affect the overall overall finish. I I really like my drop bottom goal is I wanted to place higher than I had last year. You know, I, I moved up a little bit from 2018 to 2019 and I wanted to move up more for this year. And then, you know, we'll see what the future holds. So, um, so we went to Kaber and, uh, my first pull, like, I, I think I had it too far behind me or so. I, I don't know. I didn't get a great pull on it. I got like a 50, Um, and then my second attempt, um, I, oh, I know what happened on my first attempt. I was, I had it, I had it, I was back a little far and I was almost on the back line. And I, so I wasn't going to have at the Arnold, they, they have like a front line and a back line. So you have a very limited approach. I heard someone call it a Braemar caber and that's almost what it's like. Like you cannot, if you're a runner, a caber runner, you, it's, it's a struggle because you don't have a lot of room and I like to run with the caber. Um, luckily I also have a pretty strong pull. So that, that serves in, that serves me in that event, in that setting. But I have had a real struggle with the cabers of allowing the top to get too far behind me. And I mean, this is a 16, six, 65 caber. So like it's, it's on the bigger side for the women's cabers. Um, so yeah, first attempt, the top got a little far behind me, but I didn't have a lot of room to back up. I could take like one step and then I saw the tape on the floor. So I was like, all right, I can't back up. I have to pull the bottom in. And so then when I pulled the bottom in, I probably did it a little too aggressively. Cause I mean, but I guess better too much than not enough in that case. So then the end started getting away from me. So then I just like took a step or two and like pulled like crazy, but got a 50 on the second attempt. I had it. Um, I picked it, but I didn't get my hands all the way underneath the pick and I should have just kind of, I didn't get my hands on the bottom of the caber. And so I should have been more patient and just waited until I was kind of like, like stable and balanced and then tried to shimmy it up just a little bit more. But when I 
I didn't, I didn't wait. And when I did kind of hike it up a little bit more, the weight of the caber came off of my shoulder. So I was actually walking forward with it just like balanced on my hands. And I was like, what is happening? What is happening? And then when it was, but I kept, I moved forward with it a little bit, took a couple of steps. And then when I felt like it was time to go, I just planted my feet and pulled like crazy. And that's, you know, I've seen Emily turn that caber. She turned it last year and she, you pull all the way through the thing and you explode like you're doing beyond like beyond a snatch but you go for that triple extension and so I was like this this may be my best my the best shot I've got and so I pulled like crazy um and I it didn't it didn't quite go past the nine o'clock so I got an 85 uh so that sucked but um then my third attempt my third attempt, what happened? Maybe I tried to shimmy it up on my third attempt. Whatever happened on my third attempt, I, I completely lost the caber and I had to lay it down. Well, my hands were stuck together. The caber, like the end of it far away from me, hit the ground and it like bounced. It whacked and it hit me on my forearm and I was having flashbacks from 2019 because that's what happened to Ace. The, the caber bounced and it hit her on the arm and she had a hairline fracture in her forearm. And the whole time I'm in my head, I'm like, oh, crap, 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 crap. Because I tried putting like some tacky on my fingers because I've, I've struggled in some settings with having my hands come apart when I'm trying to pull on the caber. So I was like, let me put some tacky and then I'll be able to keep my hands together and get a really hard pull. Well, my fingers wouldn't come apart. So I guess live and learn. I'm not going to use that much tacky next time. Note to yourself, like don't use too much tacky on your hands. Don't use so much that you can't still pull them apart because that could be, that could be really dangerous. I just, I could not get my hands apart. So let me take a look at it now. So it's been almost a week it's it started to bruise at the end of this week I have a still have a little bit of a bump there um it just it really did not bruise badly I somehow got a bruise on my like my left bicep looks like somebody just like poked my bicep super hard that turned very purple but this one like hardly discolored at all um so after that attempt I went and got some ice and hung out with some ice on my forearm while we were getting ready for wob um Luckily, I don't have to come in early on WAP, so that served me well in that situation, getting to put some more ice on my arm. Um, I came in at 14. I think they started at 13. Um, came in at 14 and first attempt clearances, 14, 15, 16. Um, and Emily, Alyssa, and I were still in at 17, but none of us cleared it. So then Emily and I were tied for first. Either, both, of, both of us had no misses. Um, until we, up to 16, up till we got to 17. Um, and so the judge, Rich, Rich McLean asked if we wanted to do a shootout. And now I, I, let me give you a little bit of context. Why? Cause I jumped at, I was like, yes, I want to do a shootout. So I have cleared, I've cleared 17 twice. I cleared it twice last year. Um, this season I cleared 16 in Florida. I cleared and I, I was still in it, um, at the Tundra games. I, I won the event. So I was able to pick my height. Well, I cleared, I went for and cleared 16, six. So, and things, and, and I, my tendency in like all things where you pull is to pull too early. And that's even the case in, in Wob. Like I go, I go to my arms too early instead of kind of letting them hang back a little bit more and then pulling, pulling the arms later. I have this problem with Olympic lifting as well. So I'd been playing around with pulling a little bit later and it was really, it was really, it was feeling really good. And the, the wob felt like the ball, the, 
it just felt like it was really flying high. And like, I think I cleared 16 with the implement coming down. Like it peaked like above 16 and then it clipped the bar, like behind the bar on its way down. So I, so I was feeling good. Like I, I felt like if I was just able to dial in the right place to stand, um, that it was going to work well because when, as I was pulling the weight a little bit later, allowing my legs to do a little bit more of the work on the first part, um, the weight was going more vertical, more straight up and down. And so if anybody has seen my wob technique from the side or what, from whatever angle, like I usually take a big pace forward, a pace to like, uh, like a pace and a quarter forward. Um, and usually peak right over the bar. Well, the, it was peaking a little bit more in front of the bar. So instead of taking like a pace and a quarter, I was taking like a pace, like a, in a smaller pace. So by the time we got to extras or, you know, like the shootout, um, I was back even just a little bit farther. And so we go to our first attempts and I was up first. I cleared 17 on my, what I guess was technically my fourth attempt at the height, but the first attempt of the shootout, which was like, ah, talk about exciting feeling. That was awesome for, for the day. So I knew that Emily had to, you know, the pressure was on her. She had to clear it on that height. Um, and if she didn't, then I was going to take the event and that is what happened. So that was pretty, that was really exciting. Um, I just, I, it's been really neat to have like an event that's like, that's my jam like that. You know, it, it honestly, like it makes it a little bit easier to go through the struggle with the weight for distance, knowing that like I have a thing that I'm like very proficient at. And so, I, I mean, I put a lot of time into weight for height last year and got some good advice from a couple people, um, that has really, really helped me out. And, you know, if you can get weight for height, you know, up above, like if you're clearing 16 feet on a consistent basis, then you're going to be, you know, in very good contention for winning that event at a lot of games, at a lot of games. So that was WAB. So I had two, I was, there was a fourth, a fourth, a first, a fourth, a fourth, a third in Caber, first in the Sheaf, or sorry, first, oh God, first in Sheaf, no, first in WAB. So and I had checked the points earlier in the day and I knew I was sitting like in good contention. I was sitting like, I think top four. I've gone back and looked and I finished fourth on the day and Jamisa had 17 and a half points. Emily and Alyssa tied with 12 points. And then I think cause Emily had a couple event wins. She won the tiebreaker. Um, so they both had 12 points. Jamisa had like 17 and a half and I had 21 and a half, but she finished second in chief, I believe. And I finished ninth in chief. Yeah. So friggin' chief. Ugh. So I'm not like mad at how I finished in chief, but I'm a little, it, it and I'm not, I, I just wish I could have put chief together, um, and been able to get one of those plaques. That would have been really cool, but I'm super happy for the girls that did podium, but going back to, let's talk about chief. So somebody, Rich, somebody told me, has told me, I'd heard before that I was a back thrower in chief. I legit didn't know what that meant. I, I thought it meant like I threw way behind me and they, they even asked me at the Arnold, like if there was going to be enough room and for me to, to throw, because I normally take like four big paces forward. I've gone up to five paces forward from the bar. Um, and you know, the, 
my bag would peek right over the bar because um, what I finally realized was happening is that I was not extending all the way through. And I, I think what I was actually not standing up, not really getting into full hip extension on the finish on my sheave because I think I was worried that that was actually going to send the bag back farther behind me. So note to the, if there are any listeners out there that are newer to the sheave toss and you're experiencing anything similar like that, play around with it. Play around with what it's like if you actually do extend and stand all, all the way through on the finish. Because what happened to me, like the, the Monday before the Arnold, I was out practicing sheaf and I started, I was like, well, what the hell? Let me try it. Let me see what actually happens. It What happens if I actually stand up? And the ball started, the bag started going like two paces behind me, which means like one pace in front of the bar, which is like, that translates to what I see all of the other really good sheaf tossers all the good chief tossers do is they throw up like right and it land like they practically stand under the bar and toss it almost straight up in the air and that had always boggled my mind I was like how the hell are they doing that well guys extend your hips through the throw so um so as you can imagine that was really exciting it was really exciting to figure that out but like I feel like I kind of broke myself in a sense because like I couldn't I couldn't go back to throwing the old way so now we're at the Arnold and, um, and I, I cleared 16 on my second attempt. And then at 19, you know, I, I kept on like moving or I, I definitely oh, I hate to say it. I had the height, but I just couldn't dial in how far in front of the bar to stand. So I'm really glad to be going back to a lighter bag and I've got some time before my next games, especially with like the Corona shutdown and games being canceled and stuff. I don't know when my next game is going to be exactly. Um, but, uh, I have some time to dial in my sheaf and, and get the, you know, figure out what distance, how far I need to stand in front of the bar to properly clear the bar. But I, I think I probably had the height to clear 19 and I was really close to it, but you know, my last attempt in particular, I was just too, I was too far. It's hard to believe I was like one to two paces in front of the bar and I was too far out in front of it, which just like boggles my mind, um, compared with where I've been. So anyway, so oh, ninth and sheaf, I think I tied for ninth and sheaf. Ugh. So yeah, at least I still finished in fourth and it was a pretty tight grouping. Like I said, it was like 12, 12, 17 and a half, 21 and a half for me. And then I think Allie, I, I know Allie came in fifth and I think she had 25 points or 25 and a half points. So like, it was a pretty, a pretty tightly grouped, uh, group. It's pretty tight group at the top there. Um, uh, but yeah, so that was, that was the Arnold, the Arnold Corona classic. And I'm going to shut this off cause I feel like that's probably good probably enough of you hearing me flap my gums, talk through my congested nose. Again, guys, I promise it's not Corona. At least I hope it's not. Oh boy. Yeah, that was like 30 minutes. I'm going to cut this off. Take care, guys. Good luck with your next games. Hope everybody stays healthy and safe. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Throws Genius podcast. If you'd like to connect with me, Janine Kistner, about the show or the heavy athletics or whatever. The best place to find me on social media is probably on Instagram. You can search for Janine Throws, J-A-N-I-N-E-T-H-R-O-W-S. And that's also how you can find my athlete page on Facebook if you search for that on Facebook. 
Um, I can also be reached by email at throwsgenius at gmail.com. And if you like the Throws Genius podcast, would you rate and review us and maybe share it with your friends? Thanks so much.